everyone. I'm here with my friend, Temu Arena. And I brought Temu onto the podcast because I think he's one of the best biohackers in the world, one of the most knowledgeable that I've seen. And he's, I've been following him for quite a while. And I've noticed just from when I know him, I've noticed that he's made big improvements in his health, just from what, what I can see. It, it's clear to me that he's more centered and he's really the true, you know, one of the true biohackers out there. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have him on the show here. And he's, he's uh, created the Great Summit, the Biohacker Summit, and in, in, it's usually done in Europe and Helsinki. There's going to be one in Amsterdam in October. And I really love those summits. And I'm going to be speaking at that summit as well. And uh, he's also the author of The Biohacker's Handbook, which is a great book as well. Very detailed, very good information. And, you know, when, when Timu says something, I tend to trust it, even though I'm pretty skeptical. You know, he's, he's a no-nonsense guy. He doesn't give you bullshit. He tells you what he really thinks. And uh, he's got good information, great information. And I really appreciate what he's been doing for the biohacker community. Now, let's get straight into it. How did you get into biohacking, healthcare? Everybody has a story about how they got into it. For example, they had some kind of health thing. What was it that got you into biohacking and the healthcare industry? Yeah, so my issue was um, I was a busy entrepreneur from 20s to 30s, focusing on building startups and companies. I was very interested in the way our world works. And uh, I didn't sleep much. I was just like pushing the hours in. And when I turned 30, I got a stress-related illness. I got an ulcer, uh, which became chronic. So I basically got a chronic inflammatory condition. I thought I was eating healthy. I thought I was like doing the right things. Um, but in the end, um, I was burning the candle from so many ends that led me to a dark place that um, I ended up on a doctor's office. And I got some medication for it, which took the pain away, but didn't really restore my stamina and, and, and vigor. But uh, only by looking myself in the mirror, uh, which was like, taking the condition seriously, starting to investigate it myself, starting from inflammatory conditions, from ulcers, from the medication I was eating, to uh, looking at all the research and data, what could potentially help me to restore the balance that was lost. And that led me to anti-inflammatory diets, to ketogenic diets, to stress management techniques, to meditation, to breathing techniques, to uh, different ways of like externally and internally influencing my biological and psychological state for helping the body to restore the balance. That's basically okay. what led me to it. And the process of healing myself, um, which was based on an elimination type diet and different techniques and sleep optimizing, also gathering data over a decade ago, um, led me to realizing that the techniques I was using were also helping me in other ways, more energy, uh, less allergies. Um, uh, I started looking younger, 
like so many different things happened, uh, having a lot of energy to do the things on a daily basis, that something that was designed to be temporary became a lifestyle. It became a permanent pattern in my behavior. So I wanted to share that with others. And I invited some people uh, to share my uh, story and what I did and all the data I gathered and all the techniques I used. And some of the people in the room later on went to found some of the big companies in the biking industry, including the O-ring, including uh, nutrition uh, companies, including hardware variability training. And one of the people also in the room was my co-author, uh, Dr. Oli Soviarvi, together with whom we wrote the Barker's Handbook. Uh, so that was 2012. And then we decided that, hey, there is more people like this out there. We want to meet them. So we started organizing the meetups, which turned to Biker Summit in 2014. And then since then, we have been organizing this summit every year, usually in Helsinki, but also in another country. Uh, I think it, we've done already 11 or 12 of those. And the next one will be in Amsterdam, as, as discussed. But that is a kind of the vortex that brings together all these people who are deeply invested and interested in these things, all the wounded healers of different like methods and tools and interventions who are like really critical, like you are and I am. Like, because in the end, when you're in the process of healing, you don't want to spend your time on things that will not work, right? So you want to figure out what is the 20% that results in 80% of improvement? How do you cut to the cheese? And this is the place where you can learn from the people who actually have done it. And uh, it inspires me. And I want to like keep on continuing this work and bringing these people together. Okay, that's that's great. And by the way, you, you look like you're 25. <laughs> yeah, I'm 40, actually. <laughs> I turned 40 this, this year. And uh, the interesting thing is that I actually looked older 10 years ago. Like, uh, wow. like in the beginning of the Biker's Handbook project, when I was just recovering from my illness and all that, um, I looked older than I look right now. And I have to say, I even looked a bit older after the pandemic, uh, after the previous summit. But like this summer, I, I really deeply connected to nature. And I think I just lost like 10 years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> incredible. Like on a, on a physical expression tell, for sure tell me something that you've radically improved in the past five years you've been you're you're an expert biohacker you're you know you're always improving different areas of your life i want to know what have you done in the past five years that you've radically improved and if you can explain if you didn't radically improve this area what was it like then and and what is it like now right so my daily routine often involves some type of uh, heat therapy, some type of light therapy, some type of nutritional interventions, some type of movement, biomechanics, body work. And I, like, what I've learned is that your days will be different um, in terms of challenges you have and you have to choose the right tools and strategies and techniques depending on the context like you don't want to like load your body with nootropics if the work that you are doing is mainly physical and not like cognitive um i i've discovered that 
rest and recovery is key. Like the way how you bounce back, the resilience comes from there. So when it comes to like um, uh, dealing with work-related pressures and issues, you don't want to like try to solve those with your mind, but by balancing your body. So what I would do is like longer ice baths, for example, to center myself and bring myself back into my body. And when when I embody myself, then I'm able to suddenly the solutions flow better than if I try to push them. It's like Archimedes who was told that, you know, when he tried to solve a problem, uh, someone just told him like, dude, take a break. And he went and took a break. He went to a bath. It was a warm bath, um, steam bath. But in there, he suddenly realized how volume works and he so he was able to calculate um the elements and their uh like uh, periodic weight and it was able to figure out if what he was looking at is what it is uh portrayed to be and um these kind of stories inspire me that sometimes you have to go far to see close you have to like take some distance to the things that you do and I take distance on a daily basis in different ways. Like um, I meditate in my infrared sauna. I, I um, do take like um, time for breath work, for ice baths, for regular sauna, for walks in the nature. And often the solutions come to me in those states. It's like the fourth state of consciousness in a way, like kind of the, the space between being fully awake and being in a dream and like how to access that place from which like the solutions flow from i would say like that has been the most important and like i guess radical also uh change in the way i conduct myself on a daily basis and um yeah so let's 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 zoom in there let's zoom in there you're saying so one of the biggest changes that you've had is you've been able to get more creative as i understand it and you've been able to handle pressure way better. You're a busy entrepreneur. There's always a lot of pressure. You've been able to handle the pressures of life, of running businesses. And th- those are the two main things. Is that correct? Yeah. So when you take something like creativity, you can't push it. Um, <clears throat> but you have to like change something in your environment or context in the way how you do it. And uh, like... There is a lot of talk about grounding or centering or whatever way of embodying yourself. But often, like, uh, if you're able to get yourself into that state, um, which we all can also describe as the flow state, then the solutions come quite effortlessly, actually. Um, And there is something about shutting down the prefrontal cortex in a way. Like because it interferes with um, problem solving on a certain level, and um, yeah, so so I, I would say a lot of my work today is like when you get into biohacking, you try all kinds of protocols, diets, exercise, all that. You do it rigorously. You don't like you have to do it rigorously because only then you learn. Then you learn what those techniques can teach you. Like you you take it seriously. Like you're you're like if it's about calculating calories, you calculate them accurately. If it's about tracking your sleep, you track it very accurately. All that 
but at some point you learn uh something deeper about that practice and uh the interesting thing what happens there is that then you move from just learning techniques or tricks or uh methods or tools to uh being able to more artistically conduct yourself it's like bruce lee learning you know different katas and different uh fighting styles and forms and then developing his own like you then you integrate your own version of things and um that that is kind of key when you like try different diets dietas in a sense uh these bring you into different states of mind and as you learn them you learn to conduct and use those tools in the future in the right setting like i'm not on a ketogenic diet all the time i use it specifically for certain activities um in a similar way like um i'm i'm using uh, uh nature and uh, seasonalities um like for example at this time of the year i'm not yet using a lot of um uh herbs that are expanding capillaries like that have this vasodilating quality uh like it could be chilies or chocolates or whatever this kind of way of like generating internal heat i do that more when the winter comes when i need to boost my immune system also i i start to take stronger hot herbs like ginger and turmeric and chocolates and like chili and all that but i stay away from that during the summertime i don't think it supports my performance as well as something like a really good blend of electrolytes and uh, and phytoplankton and like uh chlorophyll in general like from greens um in springtime for example so there's like this different like um seasonality of things and you learn them by doing them repeatedly and then you kind of start to see like okay this works probably best in this time of the year and in this situation i love that because moving from just learning tools tips and techniques to actually being able to strategically move with them i love that uh because this is one of the reasons why i love what you're doing because you're not saying that xyz everybody needs to take this at all times and all, all times of the year and this is the cure for everything what you're doing is you're saying everything that you read about is tools and you need to know when and how to use these tools and the better you use them the better your results will be and, and ginger is healthy at all times of the year right but you're saying i have other things that i i take that are healthy at all times of the year and i I uh, do these certain things at this time of the year, other things at this time of the year. Precisely. And all, the only way how you learn is to do it, do it, right? So you kind Correct. of go through it and then you see what it is useful for. And, um, and I also really liked uh, that your style is not forcing things. I, I, my, my issue with the whole self-help movement is trying to force things through conscious thinking you know, telling yourself something, trying to hype yourself up on something. You're saying the way that you've improved in certain things is not forcing it, it's changing your environment in a certain way that they happen naturally. And I feel like that's important for creativity. 
it's important for everything really that if you try to force something, it, the result is either not going to work or it's not going to work as well than doing the right things and allowing it to happen naturally. Precisely. And one thing that I want to add is like, let's take, for example, the ketogenic diet. If you start doing it and you basically cut out um, carbohydrates, you start to have like, let's say a typical diet of like steak and broccoli and avocado or something like this, like high fat, uh, some crucifixious vegetables, some greens on the side, but not, not the starchy ones. You have some or uh, like animal based products and meats and protein. If you eat that over and over again, it probably helps with your routine, but you also will reduce the diversity of your gut bacteria over time. You might feel great in short term, but then you start to get into issues like down downstream. And um, our ancestors were not having access to uh, year long to avocados or something like this. It, it is many things are seasonal and when you cycle them in and out, um, it, it brings a more healthy, balanced uh, microbial diversity as well. You work with nature and uh, if you eat animals, you should then like go for organ meats and like head to tail, make sure you get enough uh, glycine uh, in addition to methionine. Methionine is mainly in the muscles, uh, glycine you have in connective tissues. so. Uh, like going for the bone broths, like uh, minced meat, organ meats, in addition to just like the uh, lean cuts and tenderloin is important. And not then the preparation method that it is not just like some quick steak on a pan, but you also do like slow cooking and crock pots and soups and like all these things. It's easier to do if you cycle them in and out. Um, uh, you you kind of um, bring in what is in season, and if you look into your gut, like microbial diversity in your gut, it will also thank you. It will increase, and microbial diversity has been linked to better immunity, better health. So when people start something like a diet, they follow a strict guideline. They they do things exactly like written down for week in week out, and it might help a lot in short term. To learn that practice and also like uh, to lose weight or whatever but once you are there once you plateau like then you have to change something in inside or outside and uh, but you can't learn these things without going walking the path first and that's why right. it's important to like it's like einstein said the true knowledge is 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 in direct experience but you have to be, of course, careful with direct experience. Like, how do you trust your senses in a sense? Like, uh, you have to do the research and talk to people. And um, and I think biohacking and especially biomedical testing is providing like a lens, a new microscope or a new telescope to look at yourself, uh, which was not there before, to fine tune some of these systems and aspects as well. And uh, it provides like an invin invincible feedback loop through which you can optimize and improve yourself. But in the end, like the reason why we are here is to make some type of impact, not just in our lives. So once you perfect your body, once you perfect your mind, the question is like, what, what kind of impact are you making in the world at whole? Like, 
why are you here? Like, are you optimizing yourself, make yourself better? Or are you optimizing yourself so that you leave some type of legacy or, or your work is visible in other people's lives? Like, we don't live for statues to be built for us, you know, uh, but, but to, for some people to remember us in the way how we, we change their lives or help them in some, some, some regard. Like, that's why, you know, you want to focus on this work of making yourself a better version. But right. in the end, it's all about, all about, like, how do you leave a trace that is relevant for others? Okay. So just to summarize the... Uh... You have the uh, stress tolerance, the creativity, and the way you got there is through meditation, cold exposure, heat exposure through the sauna, and then the nature walks. So those are, I'm assuming, some of your favorite biohacks, and that that's great. By the way, I, I've you know I've really uh, improved my stress tolerance. I've used a different approach than those things. Those things are obviously great. It's just uh, I've used different approaches, but that's one of the reasons why I like to talk to other biohackers learn what were the best things that worked for you, not only what is the best things that worked for me. The Joe Cohen Show is unsullied by paid sponsors. Similar to Self Decode, I'm creating this podcast to help educate and empower people with their health. I'm reaching out to all types of biohackers, health practitioners, entrepreneurs, and more to give you the most valuable information out there. So if you're enjoying this podcast, Please show some support and be sure to leave a review and subscribe to get notified on every new podcast release. Now, one thing I want to get to is HRV because a lot of people ask me, how do I increase my HRV? And I know you've been tracking that for forever, right? And what, so what I want to know is what are the things that you've done? And, and just to give a background on HRV, heart rate variability. It's a good measure of how your body is tolerating stress in the environment, how rested you are, how recovered you are. And, and it's, it's one of the good markers for overall health. I think there's a couple good markers, st- simple things like bro- blood pressure could be a, an amazing marker. HRV is one of those markers, right? There, there's certain key markers that I like to track. And, but HRV is, is, is a really good one. Uh, it encompasses quite a lot. What have you done in particular to improve your HRV? And, and maybe you can also tell me some numbers that uh, it was at a number at one point, and then you got it to another point. And yeah, so, and, and by the way, HRV is something that declines as you get older. So you're kind of working against time but I, I still assume that you've you found a lot of ways to improve it. So what are the, the top things that you've done to improve your HRV? Yeah, <clears throat> I've seen some of your uh, statistics from your sleep HRV uh, that you have shared on social media. It's impressive what you've been able to do considering the load that you're under and probably travel and a lot of things that influence HRV. Now, HRV is a proxy for um, stress. Yes, um, it it like the higher the heart rate variability. Uh, I guess in the moment when you're getting tested, the better you are at getting into a parasympathetic state and showing this kind of uh, variation uh, between the extremes. And um, 
So what I think is important, of course, is like measuring your HRV. Usually you should do it at the same time of the day, um, around the same type of uh, stress or pressure. Um, one thing that athletes look at is uh, how quickly their heart rate is recovering from strenuous exercise. I think that is an important measure also, like if you do a hardcore gym session or sauna session, like how quickly does your heart rate recover as well as your HRV recover. Now, HRV can be blinding also if you just take a single measurement because uh, it changes over time um, and uh, it has fluctuation just like many other homeostatic parameters. Uh, for example, supercompensation is a good way to improve your HRV. Like uh, most likely the day following, let's say, uh, some sauna or some nature walks or exercise the next day will um, evidently be higher HRV numbers um, than if you didn't do any of these things. But if you do a lot of uh, heavy work, thinking, physical exercise on the day when you measure HRV, that will be influenced as well. But supercompensation is a way of like, like if you're an athlete, athletes, because they train at high level of uh, heart rate, like they, they, they basically uh, spend a lot of time in uh, high heart rate zones, their body tends to compensate to a lower resting heart rate, in a sense. And one proxy for good health is, uh, is a low enough resting heart rate. Um, and if you don't exercise, that tends to increase. Uh, if you sit a lot, it tends to increase. But if you move around and you train the cardiovascular system, it tends to compensate uh, the average lower. Uh, so, so it's about building like space or like some expanding the envelope or uh, improving the capacity of that. But I would say breathing techniques are extremely influential to uh, the nervous system state. Certain supplements that slow down the nervous system can influence HRV. So there's so many variables in it that I would be intrigued to know, like, what, what are you doing there? Like, how do you measure it? And what are the techniques that you have discovered that are are helping you to get better numbers to show around. Yeah, so I can talk about what how I measure it a bit. I basically measure it just with the R ring. And I feel like that's measuring it during your sleep. And so if you're doing a workout in the day or if you take a supplement in the day, there's enough time to get that recovery. By the time you're going to sleep, you should have that increase in HRV that will show that you're doing a good job, right? If you, if you, or if you're overtraining and it's going down, then that that's not a good sign. So you want to do the right amount of whatever it is to see that your HRV is increasing throughout the night. And, and that I'm measuring with the aura ring. That's, that's number one. There, so how there are some specifics? Is there some specific supplements that work for you in that context, like magnesium, glycine, uh, maybe ashwagandha, um, by the way, which I affects uh, 
cortisol levels and all that. So one of the best ways that I've found to, I've, I've been really paying closer attention to what does it. And so I do mega dosing experiments where I take a lot of something and then I could see, okay, there's a big jump on my HRV. I could give some examples of, of some of the supplements for me, to be honest, uh, I've actually had better results with supplements <laughs> than <laughs> a lot of the other things that, you know, whether it's breathing, whether it's, you know, cold, whether, I mean, those things obviously help, but I've seen bigger improvements with some supplements to be very honest, which is quite interesting. And uh, so for example, one supplement that I've noticed a big impact on HRV is uh, trimethylglycine. And I, so one day I took a, a mega dose of that, a 10, mil, a 10 grams of it. And the normal recommended is three grams. And, you know, and, and, and my daily, my daily dose is about one to two grams now as a, uh, just a maintenance. But when I take a large dosage of that, I notice the HRV goes up quite a lot, right? I, exactly how much hard to say, cause you're always doing something else on that day. It's not like I take trimethylglycine and just sit on my ass all day and do the same thing. You know, I'm also exercise. There's always uh, uh, variations in the day, but I do notice a significant impact on that. Uh, when I took a very large dosage of spermidine, it was very clear that my HRV went up. Uh, PQQ is something that increases my HRV. Um, Something that lowers my HRV, believe it or not, is biotin. I took a mega dose of that. <laughs> uh, so that, that, that's interesting. What else did I notice? Uh, theanine increases my HRV. And, uh, you know, I, I think Panax ginseng, I, I, and there's definitely other things that are doing it, but sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's a little hard to tell exactly by how much. But there's definitely a bunch of other things that are doing that are having smaller impacts as well. And obviously, yeah. exercise is going to have an impact. I do notice that. I'd say that that does have a significant impact. If I don't exercise in the day, my HRV will not be as high. Yeah, it depends how many hours there is from strenuous exercise on the cardiovascular system and nervous system. Uh, that's why, by the way, like sauna and ice baths may or may not work it depends like how how long before going to sleep you do these things because they are exercise mimetics they affect body temperature and uh, heart rate and like the cardiovascular system nervous system and it you need to have like enough time passing from a session like that to see an improvement uh, in hrv now many of the sure. supplements that you mentioned like theanine like uh, glycine um trimethylglycine uh, the regular glycine doesn't do it as glycine. yeah are many of them are like gabaergic so they they naturally affect um or slow down the nervous system so probably many of those things can can help people who have like anxiety difficulty going sleep like uh all of that which is often an indication of uh act active sympathetic nervous system and uh, if you're able to get out of the uh, like sympathetic nervous system dominated state, you probably also will get better HRV. Now, how does room temperature uh, light, like in terms of like 
artificial light or um, light from windows, air quality, stuff like this effect you have you like measured or even soundscapes like where you sleep like next to a road, like next to a washing machine, uh, next to nothing. That's, so that's a really good question. I, I think it's a little hard to measure that for a couple of reasons. First of all, I always make sure that my room is dark and that I wear a sleep mask. And But it, it's a little difficult to measure certain things because you can't mega dose those things. Right. right. It's like I can't say, yeah. let me take a mega dose of dark. It's either dark or it's not. <laughs> you know, let me yeah. let me mega dose clean air here. Right. <laughs> it's a little difficult. I don't it's hard to it's hard to detect uh, if those things have a big impact or not. Not that they don't. It's hard to detect. One of the thing I just forgot, by the way, is uh, omega threes, EPA, DHA. Oh, yeah. Big impact sure. on HRV. Yeah. There was a study where they. <clears throat> used these sleep trackers and one group that slept really well they told they slept really bad and there was another group that slept really bad they told you slept great and you know in cognitive tests there was a statistical significance of what the person was told to like if they were told you like they actually slept poorly but they were told you slept great they scored better in cognitive tests so there's this whole nocebo placebo effect also and this whole feedback loop that comes from this type of data and it's it's just like uh for me it has become like like the last three weeks i've been sleeping in nature i haven't had my aura ring i don't even remember it anymore where is it so in a sense like there are all these habits that we pick up and uh practices we do and eventually the ultimate mastery of the tool or the method is to be able to let go of it. And you're, you know your nervous system now. So I've spoken to athletes who say that they don't need to measure their HRV because they know what it is by just feeling it. They know in the morning if they are recovered and rested or not. They know how much load they're going to put on themselves today or not. Do they need an ice bath to speed up their like, recovery and, and get, get back on track more quickly? Like. Um, once you once you've done that, you have you gain some type of like deeper wisdom of how you conduct yourself on a daily basis, and I guess that's like the ultimate mastery that we go seek. That's I I, I think that's uh, really interesting, and I, and I agree with that. Let's talk about sleep a little, right? One of the uh, best things, and we mentioned it for me for sleep, is a sleep mask, and I think that might improve my HRV. I don't really try to experiment without it because if I don't wear a sleep mask, my sleep overall is worse. If your sleep is worse, your HRV is going to be worse. So does the sleep mask improve HRV indirectly or directly? I don't know, but you know, it, it's not something I, I, I want to even test so much. I just know that it, it improves my sleep and uh, having one that fits my face very well is important because you need to be comfortable and you need to block out the light. And so if you're, if there's some, a lot of them, I had to buy about 10 different ones to see which ones. Yeah, I also bought <laughs> like 50 different ones, like made out of silk and satin and like wool and like, I, I tried them all. And the one that works for me is one that like, uh, it doesn't have a strap. But it's like a head around, like it's ergonomic. Ah, interesting. Okay. And, Those and, didn't work for me, by the way. Yeah, for me that yeah. works pretty well. So it's there's a little bit of caution in it, 
um, it's comfortable. It's a head around. So because I tend to like probably turn and twist in my sleeve and I lose the mask and I'm pretty mm. sensitive to signals like light, especially like even a little bit can like uh, wake me up. Like if, if I wake up naturally, like with sunlight, I always wake up with it. So I need to, like, if I want to sleep longer, I need to use a sleep mask. So sure. there's a definite obvious impact in ability to fall asleep and also to like extend the duration of like the melatonin release. And there in our pancreas, we have melatonin uh, receptors and uh, that uh, affects blood sugar regulation. What are the best biohacks that you do for sleep? And maybe if you could tell me like certain things, what, what's good for slow wave sleep, deep sleep or REM sleep, sleep, uh, elongation, what, you know, just what are some of the best biohacks you've seen that have worked for yourself and other people for sleep? Right. Um, we actually have an article about this written by my co-author, Dr. Oli Soviarvi, on extending deep sleep. I think if you like break down sleep into different components, we spoke about HRV. You can also talk about how much you get like deep sleep, REM sleep, light sleep, all these things, uh, um, and, and different parameters related to sleep. Uh, maximizing your deep sleep, which is the most restorative part of sleep, is quite important. And when he started these measurements, he used to get like about 20 to 30 minutes max of deep sleep per night. Now he's getting two and a half hours, three hours easily. One key big component there is, is some type of physical movement and exercise, but not too much. Um, uh, so that you give your body and your nervous system something to recover from. Uh, I mentioned also um, the uh, temperature aspect. So the colder uh, it is uh, at night, the deeper the sleep for some, re <coughs> some reason. And then one hack that we uncovered was um, to use a fruit called kiwi. Like two kiwis in the evening improve deep sleep. Uh, a kiwi? Yeah, kiwi. For deep <laughs> sleep. Yeah, check it out. Like there's some nice compound in there. Um, you mentioned sleep mask earlier. Of course, if you're sensitive to um, sensory input like light and maybe some sounds, like you can influence that. Um, for me, that's a pretty big thing. So I've used like in my life, blackout curtains and sleep masks. And I like to use like a head around sleep mask because it tends to get off at night. And I definitely sleep longer if I have a mask. And um, another thing is uh, the soundscapes, in a sense, like in nature, the organism tends to get more stressed when it's like completely silent. Like I don't sleep very well if I'm like in complete silence. But also like our, actually our brain is like half awake. Your hearing is like one of the senses that is active because evolutionary, you need to be able to protect yourself if someone attacks on you and hearing is the one that alerts you. So you're kind of like, especially when you sleep in a new place, you tend to be more like awake the first night. Maybe people have noticed that in a new hotel room or something, they sleep pretty poorly the first night, the second night they sleep better. So hearing is another thing, like you don't want it to be completely silent and you don't want like very strong sounds to uh, isolate from the background noise. 
So if there is some occasional um, sounds, you actually may want to bring up like pink noise or white noise or some kind of like reverse sounds or wind sounds or something like this. Sometimes I'm playing like a soundtrack on the background um, to help me sleep in conditions like that. So actually like a distant highway or a, or a river or a waterfall is very calming to the mind and it, it masks out like uh, occasional uh, isolated sounds pretty well. So, so that's one thing that I, I definitely do recommend. Now in terms of like breathing techniques, um, extended uh, uh, exhalations. So in the evening, I tend to do a practice where I extend my out breath, like you, you breathe in one second, you, you breathe out two seconds. You breathe in two seconds, you breathe out four seconds. And before I know it, I'm, I'm, I'm asleep. So um, it's a kind of a quick technique to calm down the nervous system. But um, yeah, there's, there's many things. And sometimes like if you can't really fall asleep, you have circadian rhythm problems or something like this, then moving around might help. And many people use melatonin, for example. Uh, I don't recommend using too much melatonin because you have a pancreas where there are melatonin receptors and it blocks your ability to regulate blood sugar. So if you like, let's say you are on a long haul flight and you take melatonin to sleep in the airplane, then you wake up to have uh, airplane food or breakfast, your pancreas is not able to regulate the blood sugar spikes uh, as effectively. And it's actually a recipe for um, risk for diabetes to take too much melatonin and then eating a big breakfast in the morning. So I tend to skip breakfast for this reason if I, I have taken like a supplement like melatonin. So it's not just a sleep hormone. It affects so many processes in the body. And it's the reason why you can stay asleep for eight hours with uh, regular stable blood sugar, while during the day you might get hungry after three, four hours and you're ready to rip someone's arm off. So um, blood sugar regulation is key. You mentioned that you may have experimented Panax ginseng. Like that is the supplement that uh, is one of the strongest blood sugar regulators. Some medicinal mushrooms I also noticed are pretty good at regulating blood sugar. So blood sugar regulation is important for focus, for flow, but also for like steady good night's sleep as well. Uh, you don't want to have like a huge meal just before going to sleep or a huge sauna session or exercise regimen because of like this uh, regulatory aspects that also not just nervous system and cardiovascular system, but also they go back to blood sugar regulation as well. Um, so yeah, awesome. th there are some tips right there. Hopefully awesome. that helps. Those are, those are great tips. Last question. And then uh, we, we can end how many, and, and this is really random, actually, how many supplements do you take a day? <laughs> it depends. Like the strategy is like when I, when I'm, um, Traveling, I tend to focus a little bit more on what supplements I take um, for recovery, for travel, all that. Now, this summer, I've taken quite a lot of uh, NAD uh, mm -hmm. and also electrolytes. I think the electron transport chain is important, especially when it's hot and um, I travel around. Um, I noticed that from NAD, I get a little bit more extra energy uh, without the need for coffee. And that's um, NAD, just plain NAD, not yeah. nicotinamide riboside or nicotinamide NMN. riboside. Yeah, sorry, it's the, that's the form I've been taking. Oh, okay. So you, it's recently. that's the it, to increase NAD. Got it. Okay. 
So it's a precursor. Yes. It's a niacin. It's a type of niacin that increases NAD. And and you yes. like that over NMN, nicotinamide mononucleotide? Yeah, nic NMN might be more stable, but like uh, it's also more expensive. And I'm not fully certain about the like re research yet, like um, Got it. if it's, it's better than NAD. Uh, okay. Plus, but in 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 the end, like um, I also use quite a lot of medicinal mushrooms for blood sugar regulation, for immune system uh, stimulation, all that. But let's say you know you have been exposed to a virus or you're recovering from something, then I you know pump up my supplementation regimen more. Um, I've been taking some vitamin D now. Like I had quite a lot of sunshine, but now I'm in quite a lot indoors, so I, I decided to. Okay. Awesome. In. One of my favorite supplements is uh, Shisandra uh, berries. Um, Shisandra is uh, adaptogenic plant or herb. I think it helps me with nervous system regulation. Some people take rhodiola. I think it's a bit too stimulating for me. So I, I rather stick to uh, Shisandra. Um, it's interesting. So, I, I have the yeah. opposite impacts, meaning like, I prefer rhodiola over Shisandra, <laughs> which by the way, it, it's not, it doesn't mean one is better than the other. Just, it goes to show you that we're different. We have different genetics. We're built differently. We're in different environments. And, you know, obviously Shisandra is working for Temu better in, you know, it, for him and, and rhodiola works better for me. I like both of them. I just, you know, I can't take a million supplements, so I got to choose which ones I like the most. Mm -hmm. But rhodiola is, is my favorite uh, out of the two. Um, thank you so much, Timu. I really appreciate it. I learned uh, quite a few tips and tricks here. And uh, you have a discount code for people who are going to come to the conference in Amsterdam. I would highly recommend it. I'm going to be speaking there. Is it SelfDecode 10? Yeah, so um, the discount code is self-decode uh, or self-decode 10. So um, you can use self-decode at biohackersummit.com. Okay, so the discount code is self-decode to get 10% off and go to the Biohacker Summit, get tickets, and I hope to see everyone there. Thank you so much, yeah. Temu. My Any pleasure. last words? It's going to be an amazing conference. We dive deep into the psychology, the the biology of uh, extending human lifespan, health, and longevity, and uh, to to help build more balanced humans. Um, the, one of the main topics is hack the ego. So we will also look into these like psychological aspects of uh, personal development and health. Uh, so I wish to see all of you in Amsterdam. It's 15 and 16 of October. So self-discount awesome. code for that. Awesome. I'm really excited to uh, be there and, and see people there. Thank you so much, Timo. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Looking forward to meet you again. Ciao, ciao.